Well, we're also beginning today a new three-week series called This is the Year, and it's a, a series dealing with the topic of making positive and healthy change in our lives. It's a new year, and along with that comes New Year's resolutions, fresh hope that we can change that something in our lives that we wish was different. Don't look at your spouse while I'm saying this. Some of us are fired up about the potential that this year holds, and some of us may have already failed or, or given up on our New Year's resolutions. And perhaps some of us have tried so many times to change something in our lives unsuccessfully that this year we're not bothering with any resolutions. Or perhaps we've decided this is the year I set an achievable goal, like watching an entire series of a TV show on Netflix in one week. You know, achievable goals, that's the thing I'm going to do this year for the win. And so this is the first message in a three-part series about making positive and healthy change in our lives. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to change. We're going to talk about things you do that can sabotage you, yourself and things you can do that can bring success in your attempts to bring change into your life. But today, I want us to focus on the why, the motivation behind our desire to change, because I believe that the why has a tremendous effect on whether or not the change actually happens. Our motivation is crucial. And if you're serious about seeing change in your life, I want to challenge you to commit to being here for the whole course of this series, these three Sundays. It's going to be an investment in your future, and you're going to be glad that you did it. Well, if you think of all the people around the world who've made New Year's resolutions, what do you think is the primary factor, the driving force, the motivation behind the average person's desire to change? I want to suggest to you that it's personal fulfillment because almost everyone makes New Year's resolutions out of the belief that if this one thing changed or if this handful of things changed in their life, they would be fulfilled. They would be happy. Life would be good. These are the only things missing from my life. The person who wants to make more money this year believes that if they make more money, it'll make some of their problems go away and enable them to buy the things that will make them happy. The person who wants to get into a committed relationship this year believes that if they're no longer lonely, they'll be happy. The person who wants to lose weight believes that if they do that, they'll look in the mirror like the way they look and that will make them happy. The number one reason people want to change is because they believe that that change will make them happy and bring them personal fulfillment. And yet we know and see examples time and time again that disprove this type of thinking. We've all heard the phrase, money can't buy happiness. And if you ask the average person, do you believe that, they would say yes, but yet almost everybody lives as though the exact opposite is gospel truth. When it comes to relationships, most people understand it's impossible for another person to bear the burden of providing you with love, joy, peace, and the sense of purpose that you need in life. And yet, most people go through their relational lives as though it is possible for someone else to provide all those things. People quit relationships because they're not getting those things from their partner. People end marriages because they decide, oh, the butterflies we had at first are gone, so time to try something different. Two people that were massive in pop culture died right at the end of last year. Carrie Fisher, who was Princess Leia in Star Wars, and George Michael, who gifted the world with the masterpiece that is Careless Whisper. 
people went absolutely crazy over their passing. And these were people who in terms of celebrity, this is what's amazing when you think about it, is they were known by an incredible percentage of the world's population. Like an unbelievable number of the people who inhabit the earth know who they were. They were icons and yet both of them spent most of their life being miserable, suffering from addictions that were brought on by their celebrity and an accompanying train wreck of mental health and relationship issues. They had all of the things that are supposed to bring you happiness. They spent most of their life being miserable. Most people are chasing dreams that the world gave them. The world around us says, this is what you need to be happy, this is what you should pursue, this is what you chase, and that's what people are chasing. Most people, this is heartbreaking to me, are aiming their whole lives, building their whole lives around pursuing things that are just their best guess at what will make them happy and fulfilled in life. They're structuring their whole life around a guess, hoping that it's gonna work out. And think about how tragic that is for a moment. And my heart breaks because I know that very quickly, when they get those things, they're gonna find that it still doesn't bring them the fulfillment and the happiness that they were hoping for. As we talk about making changes in our lives this year, as we talk about things like resolution, I wanna be as clear as possible right at the beginning about this one thing. It's a simple concept, but, but this is profound. This is so important. Genuine fulfillment, real purpose, true joy, unshakable peace, and sincere love can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. He's the one that created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows why you're here. He knows what you were created for. He knows the deepest desires of your heart because he put them there. Whether you believe in him or not, he loves you and he died for you. And whoever you are, no matter how much you strive to build the perfect life for yourself, you will never find lasting fulfillment anywhere other than in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said this of himself, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So make a note of this. Only a relationship with Jesus can truly fulfill us. Only a relationship with Jesus can truly fulfill us. And I wanted to put that out there right at the beginning of this series, because if any of us, even who are believers here, if any of us are hoping that some lifestyle change some new relationship or the ending of some addiction will bring lasting meaning and fulfillment into our lives, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. You see, we, we know that Jesus is the key to life, but we forget it all the time. And before we realize that we can sometimes be a believer, but we've put ourselves in the place where we said, my goal this year is to change this in my life because if I change that, then I'll be happy. And so I want to challenge you with the question, the changes that you desire to see in your life this year, are you putting your faith in those changes when your faith should be placed in God? Are you putting your faith in a new relationship, believing that will bring you something that you're actually supposed to be getting from God, that you can only get from God? It's Jesus, only Jesus, that gives genuine and lasting fulfillment. 
So listen to me. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you already have everything you need in terms of love, peace, joy, all that good stuff. You have it. And we forget that we have it all the time. We neglect the reality that we have it. We choose not to enjoy it even though it's available to us, but we have it. The Apostle Peter put it like this. It's on your outlines. His divine power has given to us some things, all things. Underline that. All things that pertain to life. Underline life and godliness. Underline godliness through the knowledge of him. Through a relationship with God, you've got everything. Everything you need for life and for holiness. The reality is you could look at anybody in this room and if you're a believer, you can tell them, I'm set, I'm good. Why? Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, everything you need is available to you, everything. And we're not working on our lives in order to try and gain something that God has already offered to give us freely. We're not trying to work on our lives to get something from God or to earn anything from God. Everything we need has been given to us. God's love is given to us. Purpose is given to us. We're made right with God through Jesus. So then what are we talking about? Why are we talking about growth? Why bother? Make a note of this. Because the Christian doesn't seek personal fulfillment. He or she seeks to be effective. The Christian doesn't seek personal fulfillment. We're not driven in life by what will make us happy, we're driven by a desire to be effective. Because through a relationship with Jesus, we have everything we need to be fulfilled. Through the work of Jesus on the cross and over the grave, we've been given everything that we need in order to meet God's standards of holiness. Those needs are taken care of. And what we seek now is to live lives that are effective. So let's unpack this for a bit. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5. Now then, it's on your outlines, we are ambassadors, underline ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, we are God's representatives on the earth. We are the voice of Jesus to our world, calling people to a relationship with him. And the way the verse is written makes it clear it's not a choice we have. It's a position that comes with belonging to Jesus. So the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become an ambassador of his, a representative of his on the earth. Even if you're like, no, nah, I'm not ready for that. Even if you're like, no way, I'm a train wreck. You don't want to make me an ambassador. The verse is saying if you're a believer, you represent God to the world around you. And when the reality of that sets in, when we begin to realize that God makes himself visible to people through us, it should stir in us a desire to take our faith very, very seriously. We're not just representing ourselves, we're representing the Lord. So make a note of this. The Christian is motivated by a desire to be an effective ambassador for Christ. An effective ambassador for Christ. The first question in this series is not, what do I need to change about my life in order to make me happy? The first question is, what do I need to change about my life in order to be a more effective ambassador for Christ? That's the first question. That, which, that's one of the driving forces that should motivate us to change. Because we don't just look at our lives and say, well, 
I'm good enough for me. We're saying I'm representing God to people. How can I do that better? Secondly, the Christian is motivated, make a note of this, by a desire to be effective in the roles God has called him or her to. We should be motivated by a desire to be effective in the roles that God has called us to. So every single one of us is called to be an ambassador for Christ, but every single one of us has also been called to additional roles in life as well. We've talked about this before, being a spouse is a calling, being a parent is a calling, being a grandparent is a calling, being a worker is a calling, being a member of a church is a calling. They're not just things we have to do, they're part of our purpose on the earth, given to us by God. And sometimes we're in these roles for seasons of life and sometimes it lasts for our whole life. But make no mistake, these things are callings and rather than being focused on ourselves, followers of Jesus should be motivated to be effective in the roles that God has called them to in life. Many of you know Colossians 3. Paul writes, whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it with all your heart as to the Lord, like you're doing it for the Lord and not to men, because you are doing it for the Lord. So let's recap. If you've bought into the belief that anything other than a relationship with Jesus will bring you lasting personal fulfillment, you're going to be very, very disappointed. I don't want anybody in this room to make resolutions or strive to change because you put your faith in that change rather than Jesus. You're going to be disappointed. If you're hoping that a change in your life will bring you love, peace, joy, purpose, or anything like that, you need to know Jesus is the only real source for those things. Instead, the Christians call to be motivated not by their love for themselves, but rather their love for God, which leads them to love those God has placed in their lives. The Christian is to be motivated by the desire to be effective. That's the key word, effective as an ambassador for Christ and in the roles God has called them to in life. And so I want to propose this approach to the changes that you and I seek in our lives this year. Firstly, a strong relationship with Jesus has to be the priority. It's got to be the priority. Real change happens from the inside out. It never works when we say, I'm going to change my behaviors, and if I change my outward behaviors, then it will change who I really am on the inside. It never works. You might fool yourself. You might fool other people for a season, but you're not going to really have changed. You're just acting, playing a part. But allowing God to change your heart will change your behaviors. If your relationship with God needs work, make that your first priority this year. In other words, if, if your marriage is in difficulty, but your relationship with God is just a mess right now, it's not consistent, it doesn't really exist, don't pour all your time and energies into fixing your marriage. Pour them into your relationship with God because pouring everything into fixing your marriage is not gonna strengthen your relationship with God. But if you pour yourself into a relationship with God, I guarantee you will see dramatic change in your marriage as God changes you from the inside out. Everything begins with a relationship with God. And we're just coming up with cheap Band-Aid solutions if we try to patch the problems in our lives when we don't have a strong relationship with Lord as the foundation. So maybe it's consistent prayer or, or just daily time in his word. Nothing in life is gonna profit you more. Secondly, if your relationship with the Lord is solid, is there a specific area of your life that God is highlighting 
where a change would enable you to be a more effective ambassador for him, to represent him better? Is there something in your life right now that's damaging your credibility as a Christian? And thirdly, is God calling you to make a change so that you can be more effective in one or more of the roles he's called you to in life? And this could be anything. Is God calling you to make a change this year so that you can be more effective as a spouse, more effective as a parent, more effective as an employee, more effective as a member of the church? I hope you're picking up on the big point here that we need to start by dealing with our motivations to change, the reason we want to change. Our motivation needs to be honoring God and effectively serving in the roles we've been called to in life. So what does this look like? Well, here's an example. So if your goal is to get physically healthy this year, I want to lose weight, I want to get into shape, self-centered reasons, I'm I'm going to go as far as to say idolatrous reasons, where, where you are elevating yourself as the center of life. And here's why it's idolatrous, because you're saying, if, if I can change me, then happiness, peace, joy, all those things will flow into my life. I'm the solution to my own problems. That's why it's idolatrous. If I can change me, then I'll have everything I need and I'll be able to meet my own needs within myself. So if your desire is to be healthy, lose weight, get in shape, it shouldn't be because, well, I have to be attractive in order to attract a mate. Or because I'm, I'm tired of being fat. I want to look in the mirror and love myself. Those goals are self-centered. They're entirely about yourself. Your motivation is all about yourself. For the Christian, the reason to get in shape should be because I want to spend more time playing with my kids and I want to have the energy to bless them. I don't want to chase them up the stairs and be like, Daddy needs to have a heart attack for a few minutes, then we'll pick this game up later. That's a good reason to get healthy. A good reason is I I want to work out, get some endorphins going in my brain, release some stress so that the stress from my job doesn't follow me into my home and poison my marriage. That's a good reason. Or I want to serve my church and I don't want my health being an obstacle to God using me. Or God has placed in me the desire to be married or to be remarried. And I want to bless my future spouse by offering them the best version of myself. And that includes being physically attractive as much as I can be. And by the way, that last one is a good motivation if you're married too. Our spouses still deserve the best version of us. If you're married, can you say amen? Still deserve the best version of us. Some of you are like, don't go sit in that standard. I didn't come to church for this. What are we talking about here? Come on. In each of those scenarios I described, the motivation is serving others. Are you picking up on the difference? Serving the roles that God has called us to, being effective where God has called us to serve in life. That's the difference. It's the same goal. I want to get healthy and I want to get in shape. I want to lose weight. But in one scenario... It's all about yourself because if I do this, then I'll be who I want to be and I will supply my own happiness every time I look in the mirror. I will be my own source of self-fulfillment. In the other scenario, it's saying, no, I want to do this so that I can more effectively bless others and serve God in these areas of my life. Very different motivation. One is all about the self. One is all about others. This is so important because on a practical level, what I'm describing and proposing is the Christian's approach to change. It's the things that should motivate a Christian to bring change in their life. And it's 
totally different to the reason that most of the world desires change in their lives. As we said at the beginning, most people are seeking change for the goal of personal fulfillment. And it's why we hear around us all the time things like, hey, be true to yourself, just do what's best for you, love yourself first, and, and here's the problem. Where you really wanna be in life, who you really wanna be on a soul level, the kind of human being you desire to become is in constant conflict with your emotions and desires on a moment-to-moment basis. Everybody wants to be kind. Wouldn't it be great if your emotions got on board with the program? I wanna be kind, but there's these things within me sabotaging me all the time, all the time. And so here's, here's the scenario again. We'll take the getting in shape thing as an example. I wanna get in shape this year because if I'm more attractive, I'll, I'll love myself more, I'll find someone I won't be lonely anymore and my life will be wonderful, which will all make me happy. I'm gonna be happy, that's the ultimate goal here. However, I wake up and now I don't, I don't wanna go to the gym. Now, in this moment, bed is gonna make me very happy. I wanna eat chocolate ice cream and sleep in because happiness is right there. It's in the freezer and it's underneath that comforter right there. And so there's a conflict over what I want because I wanna get healthy because I believe it's gonna lead to things that will make me happy, but what it's gonna take to do those things right now is not gonna make me happy. What's gonna make me happy right now is just doing what I want, which is eating chocolate ice cream and going back to bed. And this is the problem we run into over and over again. We want to change because we believe it'll make us happy, but often the change requires doing things that don't make us happy in the moment. And now we're in conflict. Which solution am I going to go with? And usually we choose the most immediate solution. That's why resolutions don't generally work. A healthy body may be months or years away, but that ice cream is here right now. It's here right now. I want to share with you one of the most powerful secrets to powerful motivation. Make a note of this. Find a source of motivation outside yourself. Find a source of motivation outside yourself. Because when you're making changes or learning disciplines for reasons other than blessing yourself, those reasons are just as real and just as valid when you're tired, when you don't wanna do the work, and when the going gets tough. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for someone else. You're doing it to honor the Lord. You're doing it to bless your spouse. You're doing it to invest in your marriage. You're doing it for your future marriage. Find a source of motivation outside yourself. Because when you wake up and you don't want to go to the gym, but you're thinking, listen, I got to be in shape to play with my kids. I got to be in shape to serve my spouse well, to serve my church well. Those things are all true and they have nothing to do with whether or not I want to do this right now. That's my goal, and those goals are still true. Here's why that's so powerful, because that's how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus lived. In fact, he said this about himself. It's also on your outlines. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven to do what? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus came to the earth on a mission to do the will of his heavenly Father. Honoring the Father was Jesus' number one motivation. His number one motivation. He didn't get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you're a winner. You're gonna do great things today. You're gonna raise the dead. The blind are gonna see. You're amazing. He didn't do that. 
He was motivated by a desire to serve the will of his father and honor the father. And what did the father ask Jesus to do? He asked him to serve you and I by laying down his life. That's why Jesus said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you will remember the moment when Jesus' will was most strenuously tested. It wasn't in the wilderness when he was tempted at the end of 40 days by Satan. That wasn't his most difficult moment. His most difficult moment was on the Mount of Olives, the night Jesus is going to be arrested and shortly thereafter tortured within an inch of his life and ultimately crucified. Kneels down on the Mount of Olives to pray. And he's in such emotional anguish, the Bible tells us he's sweating drops of blood. The capillaries in his forehead are bursting from the stress that he's under as he contemplates the horror of what lies ahead, specifically knowing that he is about to receive the full wrath of his Father. The wrath that was stored up for every person who has ever lived because every person has sinned. All of that was going to come upon him. And he was facing, while going through that, being separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. And going through it alone. Completely alone. And Jesus prays, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. And in that moment, let me be honest, and I'm going to bring this around so you don't think I'm being blasphemous. In that moment, Jesus' will is failing, and there's nothing in him that wants to go through with this. There's nothing. He's not looking forward to it. And yet, he finishes the sentence with these words, nevertheless, not my will. Do you pick up what that means? It means that the will of Jesus, his personal resolve in that moment, was not to go to the cross. That's what it's saying. It's saying he didn't want to do it. And in that moment, he says, not my will, but yours be done. It's even more extraordinary than you and I realize. You see, because long before Jesus was crucified on the cross, long before that, he had crucified his own will already. He had laid it down and said, the will of my Father is my goal. The will of my Father is my motivation. The will of my Father is my guide. And so in that moment, Jesus is able to say, not my will. It's not about what my flesh wants. It's not about what my emotions want. It's about the will of my Father. And I trust my Father. And in his most trying moment, Jesus didn't motivate himself by saying, this is going to be good for you. This is all going to work out in the end. He doesn't say that. He motivated himself by saying, body, it's not about what you want. Emotions, it's not about what you want. Father, it's about what you want. That was his motivation. And Jesus is our role model. We're to be motivated the same way Jesus was, to honor the Father and serve those that he has sent us to serve. Make a note of this. Jesus is our example of what should motivate a Christian. He's the example. It's not always easy. 
but it's the best, most fulfilling way to live. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the more you obsess about yourself, the more it becomes about you, the more depressed you'll become. Because none of us are really all that great. And so the more time we spend meditating and thinking about ourselves, the more depressed and discouraged we become. But when you're focused on honoring God, serving others and blessing others, you don't have time to obsess about yourself. And guess what happens? You, you begin thinking about the Lord more and you begin thinking about others. And suddenly you realize it's not, it's not about me and your self-esteem isn't rooted in yourself. It's rooted in honoring God. And your fulfillment doesn't come from yourself. It comes from honoring God and serving other people. Don't obsess over yourself. It never leads to happiness. And these motivations are so powerful because they remove us from being the center of all our decision making and put God at the center where he belongs. Make a note of this. Godly motivations place him at the center of our decision making. Godly motivations place him at the center of our decision making. And I wonder how many of us can testify that when God is at the center of any area of our lives, that area ends up inevitably being blessed. Inevitably. I've seen that pattern over and over and over again. Put God at the center of any area of my life and that area becomes blessed. It's just what the presence of God does. So, so when you bring the presence of God into your marriage, into your parenting, into your finances, into your career, it's going to be blessed as soon as you put God at the center of it. So the question isn't, should I start this business? The question is, does God want me? to start this business. The question isn't, have I made enough money to finally retire and do nothing? The question is, what does God want me to do with the extra time he's given me? Or who or what does he want me to make money for? The question's not, have I reached my target weight so that my self-esteem can now slowly begin to recover? The question is, how is God asking me to live health-wise in order to effectively serve those he's called me to serve? When you're motivated by a desire to honor the Lord and serve in the roles he's called you to, you're going to have purpose every day of your life. And you're going to find so much more fulfillment in serving God than in serving yourself. It was really neat this week. I was reading a letter from Chuck Missler. Some of you know who it is. And he's 87 now. And he was writing about how he had just been to the 60th anniversary of his graduating class from West Point Naval Academy. And he just said, you know, it was a little depressing because we're all really old now. He said, actually, there's a whole bunch of old people there. And um, he said, they're all talking about their best days as being behind them. Their whole life at this point is about looking back on things that have happened. And he said, with one glorious exception, the Christians. And he said, all the Christians that I talked with were looking ahead, were excited about the coming of Christ and were excited about the things that have yet to happen on the earth. They were excited about the things that God still had for them to do. Because when God is at the center of your decision making and your life, your life isn't over at 65 when you retire. There's purpose till the day you die. Your life isn't over as soon as you have kids. You don't have to say, well, I guess I'll just stay at home as a prisoner of parenting for the next 25 years. There's purpose in everything. 
And only God can do that for you and I. This is a much, much shorter message than usual. And so I'm going to preach two messages today. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But I wanted to share just this simple idea of motivations. Why do you want to change? What's driving your desire to change? If you're saying, I want to change this, is it because you believe that you can fulfill all your needs or that one change will do it? If you're not asking about what changes you need to make in your life, should you be? Should you be? As we begin a new year, I want to call us back to the place of humbly coming before our God and making ourselves available to him. My prayer is that we're going to take the time in these 21 days of prayer to give the Lord room to speak into our lives and answer the question, God, what do you want to do in my life this year? What do you want to do in my life this year? Because if there's one thing that we don't want to miss, it's being a part of something that God wants to do in us this year. I don't want to miss that. I know you don't either. Real change happens from the inside out. We might be able to fool others and fool ourselves by changing our outward behaviors for a season. But when we're not truly changed on the soul level, those behaviors are always going to come back. They're going to rear their ugly head once more. The truth is that only the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, can produce real change in our lives. And so I want to ask that we would remember Amos 3.3. We love that verse around here if you haven't figured it out yet. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So what I'm proposing is that we each ask the Lord to reveal to us how we can partner with him and get in agreement with him about the work he wants to do in our lives this year. That's what I want to see us do. We want our words, the things that we say, we want our actions to be in harmony, to be in agreement with God's desires for us. So make a note of this. Godly resolutions begin with us asking God what he wants to do in our lives. Godly resolutions begin with us asking God what he wants to do in our lives. That's so important because it requires us being humble enough to acknowledge that we don't even know what is good for us. We don't even know what we need most right now. Only the Lord does. But man, wouldn't it be incredible if right at the beginning of this year, these 21 days that we spend in prayer, we just said, God, what do you want to do? More than anything else this year, God, I want to be in agreement with you about the work you want to do in my life. That's what I want to do. I don't want you to find me fighting and resisting. I want to be found saying amen to the things you want to do in my life. So what do I want for my life this year? I want everything the Lord has for me. I want everything that the Lord has for me this year. I want to be blessed where he wants me to be blessed. And I want to be broken where he wants me to be broken. Wouldn't it be great if we got to the end of the year and we could honestly say, this was a year that I agreed with God about his work in my life and it was accomplished. It was done. All the things that he wanted to do in my life this year, he did. He did in my life. And that would be an amazing thing to say at the end of this year. And so I just want to propose, why wouldn't we aim for that? Why wouldn't we shoot for that? We're immediately thinking like, oh, there's no way I'm going to manage to do that. I'm going to mess it up somehow. But why wouldn't you aim for it? Why wouldn't you want as much of God as you can get? I don't want to miss out on anything that God wants to do in my life this year. And so I know that that process begins by humbly asking God, what do you want to do in my life this year? What do you want to do?
What do you want to do, Lord? I'm on board with it. And keeping that attitude as experiences and things come to us throughout the year. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm good with it. When we encounter difficulties saying, Lord, you're in control of everything. And if there's something you want to do in my life through this, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to fuss and fight and whine and complain. Just tell me what you're doing in my life right now, and I'm on board with it. I'm good. But would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to begin by just praying for the lost that are not with us this morning. Father, we pray for all those especially that you've put in our lives who don't know you yet. And God, our our heart just breaks as we think about all those who may be making resolutions this year, hoping and longing that if they can just make this change or these changes, then they'll finally be happy. They'll finally have peace. They'll finally find fulfillment. God, we know it's not going to work out. We know they're going to be disappointed. And we long for those who don't know you to find what they're looking for in you. And so, Father, we pray you would open up their hearts to the truth of your gospel. We pray that you would break through all resistance and all obstacles. That your grace would be irresistible to them. And that, Lord, as you desire to use us to share your truth, God, would you find willing participants, willing ambassadors in each of us, ready, willing, and eager to be used by you, God. Give us the boldness to step out and be used by you. And then, Father, it is our prayer this morning that you would reveal to us what you want to do in each of our lives this year. Lord, we all have things that we would love to see change, but Lord, we want you to know Before we talk about any of those things, we want to lay them down before you at your feet, Jesus, and say, God, all, all of that other stuff, that can wait. It can wait. The most important thing is what you want to do in our lives this year. And so we want to invite you. We want to give you permission to speak to us, to lead us, to do your work in us this year. And Lord, if that process would be aided by us knowing what it is so that we can be in agreement with you, would you reveal it to us? Would you make it crystal clear? I am asking, Lord, that by your spirit, you would speak specific words to each of us this morning about what you desire to do in our lives this year. God, we long to see your work accomplished. And we want to walk in agreement with you this year, Father. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, 
I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.